Hey folks, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. The Restoration Project is a cooperative Baptist fellowship church located in Salisbury, Maryland. We are taking a break from our latest sermon series. Enjoy this standalone episode. Thanks for listening. So nearly every week at TRP, we remind ourselves of the distance that stands between us and the Bible. And I like to use fancy words to make sense of that. We talk about the Old Testament's ancient Near Eastern historical context and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Or we talk about the New Testament's first century Jewish context. I think that for most of you, if you spend any amount of time at TRP, feel free to move your chairs a little bit. I'm not gonna talk too long, but if it's gonna put a crink in your neck, you can, you can move if you need to. For the most part, I think that you guys have grown accustomed to this language, uh, but if this is new, all I really mean is that the Bible is a collection of ancient texts that often describe ancient rituals and practices in ancient languages for ancient peoples who are developing their theology and their ethics in ancient cultural context. The Bible is a, is a book of different texts that reflect these different contexts over a period of 1,500 years or so. If we are to read the Bible well, what we oftentimes talk about is it's important for us to understand the gap between us and the words on the page. I bring this up because Easter is prone to misunderstanding precisely because we are on the other side of the empty tomb. We know the end of the story, so it's difficult for us to withhold our knowledge and get a glimpse of what it must have been like in the moment for these followers of Jesus. One current author that I just finished her book last week, she's a a Duke professor at the Divinity School. She teaches American religion. Um, She was just recently diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and she was entering into this time of Lent with anticipation of Uh, engaging in the suffering that Jesus went through and also identifying the mortality of humanity. Uh, If you guys have ever been to an Ash Wednesday service, you get ashed on the forehead with the line that you are dust and to dust you shall return. It is a, a memorial of our own impending death. And the way that she describes how we are prone to going to the end of the story is, kids, close your ears. She says, everyone Easter's the crap out of my Lent meaning we rush to the empty tomb, we rush to uh, the end of the story because we know how this story of Easter ends. We rush to its climax, we rush to the resolve, we rush to the removal of pain, we rush to the empty tomb. We might even rush to the strange interchanges between Jesus and the women in the garden or between Jesus and the disciples or between Jesus and the people on the road to Emmaus. Much rarely do we spend time with Jesus in the garden praying to his dad that if there was any other way to go about this, that he was game for that. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about the betrayal that he felt at the table when he says, there's one of you sitting here at this final meal that we will share together that will sell me out for some silver. We don't spend time reflecting on Jesus before uh, Pontius Pilate and going through this trial and, and in some way identifying and seeing Peter out in the courtyard denying him. And Luke's gospel says that third time that Peter denies him and curses him to this little girl 
It says that Jesus, from wherever he was, he turns and looks at Peter and they catch eyes and Peter just breaks down and weeps. We don't engage those parts of the story. And I think in our haste, we miss some of the important oddness of Easter. As this author that I'm reading points out, I think we also underestimate a vital aspect of the human experience, namely the suffering and brokenness, even agony and separation that we feel at times that Jesus can identify with us in the midst of that brokenness. But tonight, I wanna think about just for a few minutes on the oddness of Easter. For example, despite the fact that Jesus continually told his disciples that he was going to die and then rise in three days, They absolutely did not understand what he was saying any of those times. In fact, the questions that were raised after he says, listen guys, this is how this story is going to play out, demonstrate the fact that they don't get it because they're talking about like, when you come into your power, can I sit at your right hand? They're lobbying for positions of authority. They have no clue what Jesus is all about. In fact, N.T. Wright says, nobody in Judaism had expected the Messiah to die and therefore naturally nobody had imagined the Messiah rising from the dead. When Jesus died, for them, it was game over. It was time to go into hiding. It was time to give in to fear. It was time to feel that shame and regret and confusion. A crucified Messiah was not on anyone's radar, nor was a resurrected Messiah. That's not how the story worked in their minds. So when they saw Jesus being scourged and when they saw Jesus with a crown of thorns and when they saw Jesus on the cross, breathing his last saying, it is finished. They had no comprehension of what he was saying because for them, it was a loss. So imagine for a second how these people must have felt seeing these things and hearing these stories, the disciples, the people that had been with Jesus, that had seen miracles, that had heard the teachings, that had seen him in power and authority, now seeing someone who was broken and dead. Think about the women who were going to the tomb to anoint his body. They were not expecting him to be alive. Think of the pain that Jesus's mom must have felt for this, for some reason, this time around this year. That's one of the things that I have been focusing on is the pain of Jesus's mom. We did the Stations of the Cross on Friday for a Good Friday service. And there's one bit where it says that on the way to his crucifixion, Jesus catches eyes with his mom. It's not in any of the biblical accounts, but it's this tradition about this story where when everyone has left him, his mom is there. We do see that at the very end when Jesus is on the cross, his mom is in fact there. But to understand her pain and to feel the loss that she has felt from the the kissed bruises and the scraped knees and tucking him into bed to now seeing her baby boy in pain and in suffering and dying, Everything that these people had staked their lives on, it went up in flames, or more accurately, it was nailed to the cross. It's really no wonder when you put it in this context that Peter was so confused and so angry and so agitated that when a little girl comes to him and says, aren't you with him? It wasn't probably just the fear that he was feeling. I know that was a huge part of it, but there was also probably a massive amount of confusion and just misunderstanding. I thought that we were on the right side of this one, but it doesn't appear to be the case. Imagine their confusion when they find out that he's in fact not dead. 
when they've lived through the Good Friday, when they've lived through the silence of Holy Saturday, and when the women go to the tomb to find out that Jesus is no longer there in confusion and complete bewilderment, having no sorts of paradigms for this, to put those pieces together. I think collectively that the church has forgotten the wonder of Easter. We've forgotten the mystery. We've forgotten the surprise ending. We've forgotten the newness because we've rushed through Lent to get to the Easter. We've rushed through all these moments to celebrate the win, but we forget all of the loss and the, the pain that they would have felt and also the glorious surprise ending that no one had any sorts of understanding of what this would look like. It's a story of life from death. It's a story of hope from defeat. It's a story of resurrection from the grave. There is power and mystery in this story of Jesus. What we have in the story of resurrection is also, I believe, God's statement that there is more to come, that injustice does not have the last word, that systems of oppression will be held accountable. As Paul would say, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, sin and death, the powers of this age have been defeated and we are released from their captivity. In an even more fundamental way, we can say that resurrection is God's statement that this life matters and that God is working towards a goal. Now let's get nerdy for a second because what this means for an ancient author would be that God has a telos, say telos, it means that God has a goal, that this story is heading somewhere, that he has not just stepped back and seen it all unravel, that the world is going in a certain direction and that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is bringing it to its beautiful fulfillment. Resurrection is a statement that we matter and that God has not and will not abandon us. One author, maybe one of my favorite authors, his name is N.T. Wright. You've heard me talk about him from time to time. He says this, Easter is about the wild delight of God's creative power. We ought to shout alleluias instead of murmuring them. And I look, I know, around here, we are a bit guilty of murmuring some hallelujahs, even though we have withheld ourselves from a hallelujah or two throughout the Lenten season. We should light every candle in the building, he says, even if our light bulbs go out, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we should give every man, woman, child, cat, dog, and mouse in the place, and I bet there are some mice in the place, sorry, Kate. Uh, a, we should give them a candle to hold. We should have a real bonfire. We should splash water about as we renew our baptismal vows. Every step back from that is a step toward an ethereal or esoteric Easter experience. And the thing about Easter is this, he says, it's neither ethereal nor esoteric. It's about the real Jesus coming out of the real tomb and getting God's real new creation underway. And we get to participate in that. He continues, that's my boy. <laughs> he continues saying, we should be taking steps to celebrate Easter in creative new ways, in art, in literature, in children's games, poetry, music, dance, festivals, bells, special concerts. You know he's British when he's talking about bells, <laughs> right? 
anything that comes to mind, he says, we can use for this celebration that Jesus is risen. This is our greatest festival. He's gonna get pretty, he's gonna, if you've got your feet sticking out there, he's gonna step on some toes here. So just hang on with me. He says, this is our greatest festival. Take Christmas away. And in biblical terms, you lose two chapters at the front of Matthew and Luke. But if you take away Easter, the entire New Testament goes away. You do not have a Christianity, as Paul says, because you are still in your sins. Think about that. Easter is about the wild delight of God's creative power. We have moved beyond that to some other part of the story where we just want things to be okay and we're, we're maybe afraid to live within the mess as God is working out his plan in and through us, taking us to that beautiful new creation. Take this holiday away, he says, and we have nothing, nothing to celebrate. So tonight, we've strung some lights. We've got Tessa to DJ for us a little bit. And my hope is that in our celebration, we are reminded that God is at work, that the risen Christ is present, that his resurrection is indicative of our resurrection in the future. Did you realize that nobody anticipated a resurrection because what they were anticipating was everyone being raised at the last day. Jesus shows up as the first fruits of that saying, follow me, I will show you the way. And all of us see what Jesus is doing. And as Paul would say, we will be raised because Jesus, in fact, was raised. This is indeed our greatest festival and our greatest reason for celebration. We should rage as we would at the wedding of our best friends. And I've been at those weddings with you. We should celebrate as we would, and this one's a bit more tame, but I'd like to see it come to fruition, at the dedication of a long-expected baby. People within our own community that have struggled to have kids that bring forth these little beautiful babies that we get to bring into the family of God. We should celebrate and rage. Molly, this one's for you. As we would at the Super Bowl parade of the world champion Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. But seriously, when we think about this, the way that we act at a concert or at a sporting event is completely dissimilar from how we treat Easter and the celebration that we have in this moment. It's like we're two separate people. We should celebrate in this moment as we would at the salvation of one of our friends. I hope that we haven't forgotten that in all of our academia and all of our enlightened learning in all of our ancient Near Eastern context and first century Jewish context. What we're still about is to invite people into this story of following Jesus because it is truly the greatest story that has ever been told. Jesus deserves our acclamation. He deserves our dance moves. He deserves our thanksgiving. More importantly though, my hope for you guys tonight is that you might have an awareness of the mystery that is symbolized here at these tables and in these chairs in the shared meal that we are about to partake in. You, whatever your story, you are welcome here. We have a sign out front and I like to think that it actually means something. Wherever you come from, whatever you are struggling with, wherever are the things that you are bringing with you to this table, the baggage, the hurt, the pain, Perhaps you're in a season of, of joy and exuberance. You are welcome here. And I would even say this, you are welcome here and resurrection demands that you are welcome here because there is more to your story. And perhaps for some of you, it's time to realize that. 
my hope tonight is that we don't just sing and dance and look silly for the fun of it, because it's fun. My hope is that throughout this night, we have moments to celebrate who Jesus is and the fact that he has transformed our lives and our singing and our dancing is different because of who he is allowing us to be. And I'm also hopeful that we don't forget that these doors are wide open and that more people should join us on the dance floor because resurrection calls for it. There is more to your story. And Jesus has initiated that and his death, which cost him a great deal, and his resurrection, which demonstrates his power and the power of the Heavenly Father and the power of the Spirit that is working through him, the Spirit that is indwelling in us, the power that is present in us when we accept Jesus and follow him. I'm hopeful that through this shared meal that we are reminded of that. So hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of the Lord Jesus Christ. Says the Lord on the night of his arrest, and you've heard this story before, but hear it again anew. He took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant that's sealed in my blood that's shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And we don't always add this last line, but on Easter Sunday, we've got to, and we really have to every other weekend as well. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. With thanksgiving, let us offer God our grateful praise. And may tonight we proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord. May we proclaim that well, not just in the next few moments, but we, may we proclaim that well with our very lives. So let's pray and then we will uh, receive it all together. God, we are thankful again for this night. We are thankful for what it symbolizes. We are thankful that we get to uh, participate in the new creation that you are about, that not only have you saved us from our sins, but you have invited us to participate in making this place new again, in the restoration of your people and of this world. In the next few moments, as we break this bread and as we dip it in the cup, may you allow us to realize the beautiful significance of what Jesus has done for us. And may we celebrate well for the folks in the room that have never accepted you, for the folks in the room that have never decided to follow you. If that be their decision tonight, lead them there. It doesn't take much, but just an admission that Christ is Lord and a desire to follow him. May we celebrate well. God, we are thankful. We are humbled. We are in awe. Help us to wonder again at your goodness. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.